I need to start off with a question. Who among us here has been asked, so does the church that you go to, do they believe in Jesus and are they Christian? <laughs> okay, all right. And how to, and, well, of course, you know, we can't do this exactly dialogues, uh, uh, dialogue fashion, but do you have trouble answering that question? No? Okay, some people say no, some people say yes. Well, I learned a little trick, and I'll share it with you. Usually what I say is, well, we're Christian in that we absolutely follow the teachings of Jesus. Now, that doesn't, you know, oftentimes then there are follow-on questions, but at least it's a point of reference where generally I can find agreement with people, and then sometimes we might talk about that. But you know what's interesting? We say we follow the teachings of Jesus, and how often do we actually talk about the master teacher Jesus here on Sunday? Dead silence, right? It's like, well, there's Easter coming up. He'll probably mention Jesus on Easter, right? <laughs> or, or for those of you who actually came to the Christmas Eve service, right? And not everybody even comes to that. Well, we always, of course, talk about the Christ presence and, and Jesus on Christmas. But how often do we actually talk about the, the teachings of Jesus? It's interesting, isn't it? So I'm getting ready to teach foundations again um, this, uh, this term. And absolutely, the ten core concepts that you learn in the foundations class absolutely are what Jesus taught. And we never talk about that. I think it's just fascinating. And so for the next five weeks, we're actually going to be exploring, the re-exploring for most of us, parts of the New Testament absolutely featuring the um, sort of unedited, if you will, or at least as unedited as we can imagine they are, the parables that Jesus presents um, to the multitudes. All right, now, I know there are a few of you out there who are going, oh my God, he's going to talk about the Bible. <laughs> and so, you know, just to be fair, we'll start with a Bible joke. Okay, all right. So a rare book, a collector of rare books ran into an acquaintance who told him he had just thrown away an old Bible that he found in a dusty old box. He happened to mention that Guten somebody or other had printed it. Yeah, you know where I'm going. Not Gutenberg, gasped the collector. Yeah, that was it, Gutenberg. You idiot, you've thrown away one of the first books ever printed. A recent copy of one of Gutenberg's Bibles sold at auction for half a million dollars. Oh, oh, well, I don't think this book could have been worth anything close to that, replied the man. It was scribbled all over in the margins and even signed by some clown named Martin Luther. <laughs> all right, so as you can tell, my antenna is we're actually going to have a little fun with the Bible over the next five weeks. But we're going to focus in on something very unique, and, and it deserves a little explaining, I think, the idea of what a parable is. And to help us through this, we're using this excellent book by Irvin Seal called Learn to Live. And here is what he says a parable is. Here's how we can look at the parables that are in the New Testament. He says, in every real parable, you will have two stories. One is literal, and the other is figurative. They lie right alongst each other, and one suggests the other. One is evident and obvious, and the other is induced by thinking about the first. This book is to help you find those truths which will so influence your mind that you, too, can renew your confidence and find the way to a great life. A parable is a story specifically designed and written to accomplish a change in your mind 
and consequently in you. So the whole idea, the whole teaching, if you will, of Jesus, the whole format for it, wasn't so much that he would lecture people on how to behave. It wasn't so much that he would sit down and say, you should do this, and you should do this, and you should do this. Instead, he illustrated them with simple parables of everyday life. Now, what's interesting, of course, for us, is everyday life has changed just a little bit in the last 2,000 years, so we're actually going to have to spend a minute or two even talking about what the literal meaning, perhaps, of the parables are. And I'm going to start with one of the early parables in the New Testament. This is from Matthew 13, 3, 9, called the Parable of the Sower. And I've actually enclosed it in your programs today, not so much that I want you to follow along with me while I'm reading, but as parables are transformative, I'm inviting you to actually take it home this week. And if you have a spiritual practice, I'm inviting you just to read the parable. You don't even need to analyze it. You don't even need to think about it. Because if it is transformative, just the reading of it will begin working in you. So give it a try. If you have an ongoing spiritual practice, take this home and just include it as part of your spiritual practice. All right. The parable of the sower. A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprung up quickly, but because the soil was shallow, when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had not root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop, a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Let he who has ears, let him hear. The knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you. Now this would have been a very typical method, actually, of teaching a couple thousand years ago. And, uh, you know, as I mentioned, I think because farming techniques have changed a little, right? We have tractors and combines and everything are in neat orderly rows right now. I wanted to spend just a minute telling you a little bit what being uh, in a, a subsistence farmer 2,000 years ago would have been like. First of all, the seed that you have gotten, of course, didn't come from the seed store, it came from last year's harvest. So a certain percentage of the corn, of the wheat, of the amaranth, whatever you had grown the year before, you stored it up as seed for next year. So in that sense, the seed was free and plentiful because you, you, know, you just grew enough to save some seed for next year. The actual process of planting, you might have used a stick or some wooden implement to stir the earth up a little bit, and then the actual process of planting itself, you would have had a bag of the corn or the, the wheat or whatever it might have been. And it would have been an action similar to what you see nowadays with people just spreading out grit for, for um, chickens or something. It was that kind of just that random dispersal method. So you'd walk along and in a fairly unorderly way, just spread the seed out. Had to hope for rain, had to hope for um, someone to help you do some weeding, but by and large, that was it. Okay, now how does this parable, first of all, the first level of it is on the physical level, and it is a, f a story that would have been familiar to everyone who um, did any kind of agriculture at that time. And literally, it's the idea that, yeah, you got to overseed a little bit. you gotta got to be prolific in, in, in what you put out there, because some of it is going to fall on the wayside, you know, on the road, and people are going to trot on it, or birds are going to eat it. Some of it, weeds will grow up. The whole idea would have been very familiar to everyone. That's the literal level. That's the literal level. Then we move up 
is as religious scientists, as new thought people, we move up into what would have been called the figurative or the metaphysical level. And here we begin, first of all, wondering, so who is this sower, right? Who is it that's actually sowing the seeds? And the answer to that one is God. So in this particular parable, when you move into the metaphysical, God is the ultimate sower. And indeed, the seeds are of infinite nature. All of the good, all of the abundance, all of the love, all of the harmony, all of the peace is constantly being sown out. And literally, almost blindly, it's going every which way to every corner of the planet, God is sowing the gracious life, if you will, the abundant life, the sweet life, the life of love. So that's the sower. Now who do you think, or what do you think is represented by the different kinds of soil? Right, it's ourselves. It's ourselves. Each of us has that ability to plant these seeds of love, of wisdom, of whatever it might be, into our own heart, into our own lives, and make what we will of it. All right, so let's, as Jesus did, examine these different kinds of soil. All right, first of all, some of the seeds fell beside the way. Literally, this means fell onto the path where the birds could eat it up, where cars could run over it. If you think about it, this is the mind that is not even noticing that good is coming their way, right? You, have you met someone that, that you see is just oblivious to the good that's already in their life? Have you met people where it just seems to just go right over the top of their head? They would be the ones that would be, you know, asking for love, asking for help in a, in a family full of people that love them and, and with willing help. These are the people who, when things are going right, they'll find the one thing <laughs> in the whole shebang that isn't right, and they'll kind of focus their energy on it. Because what's, what's important here is they're just not seeing the opportunity. Literally, the, the seed of love, the seed of wisdom, the seed of opportunity is just falling on the wayside. It's falling you might say, on deaf ears, because there's just simply no one there to recognize it. All right, how about the seed that falls onto stony ground? Now, here's an interesting one. The idea of stony ground is simply that the seed will rise up quickly, but then in the light of the day, when the, when the sun comes out, it will wither too quickly because its roots aren't firm enough. This would be the mind, this would be the person that catches new ideas, that when they see the good around them, they can recognize it, but then they don't do anything with it. It's that idea of complacency. It's that idea of, well, you know, maybe I'll get around to it someday. Maybe it's that person that can recognize the good, but they never really perceive that it's for them. Do you know what I mean? Have you met people that sees the good in the world and they always think it's for someone else? It's not theirs seemingly to have action upon them, themselves personally. So there's no follow through. This is the mind for which there's no follow through. They can see the idea, they can, um, they can um, see the process, they can see the good, they can see abundance in their lives and they don't do anything with it. They just don't do anything with it. So that's the stony ground. You might even think of it as a stony heart because so often the same kind of mind will have kind of a stony heart as well. Just someone who's not going to act upon the love that comes their way, the life that comes their way. 
All right. Next, the seed that fell among the thorns. Now, this one I love. This one I love because it's not saying that the ground isn't fertile, right? It's not saying that the seed wasn't planted well or that it was planted too shallowly. It's not even saying that there's anything wrong with the ground at all. It's just saying that with this seed of love, with this seed of hope, with this seed of abundance, with this seed of goodness, what else is planted right along next to it? It's the thorns, right? And what do you think are represented by the thorns in this tale? It's life. It's the trouble that life presents us. It's our own clinging on to the negative aspects of life that we see around us. So in this instance, this mind, this mind uh, that's where the seed falls among the, the thorns, this mind has as much negativity in it as it does the positive. It tends to cling onto those things of the world which can bring about pain, which can bring about trouble, which can bring about disharmony. So even as they're maybe embracing something that represents love, at the same time, they're embracing something that maybe is completely different. You might think of this person as the confused person or the person who's lost focus, the person who can't focus in on what's good and instead over time tends to drift over into focusing on what's going wrong in their life instead of what's going right in their life. It's that over-identification with the negative. Then, of course, the fourth type of soil is the soil that we all want to be, Right? It's the fertile ground where seeds of love are harvested grandly. It's the, it's the ground where the, the seeds of peace come to fruition. It's the ground where the seeds of, of abundance and hope blossom forth with such vigor. And, and in the parable it says 30, 40, 100 times the weight of the seed is brought forth at the harvest. And isn't that the way life works when it's working the way we want it to? Right? This is the essence of the song that was, uh, that was playing just before I came up here. This is that transformational quality that can take us from a place of loneliness and lack into a place of love and joy. This is the nature that we want to have. This is the soil that we want to have. All right, so these are the first two levels that we can use in interpreting any of the parables in the Bible. There's some 30-odd parables presented in, in the New Testament. Any one of them, we can approach them, first of all, from the literal. And you might actually need to look that up somewhere, right? Because some of the parables about ten virgins or parables about inopportune widows and things like that, you might go, well, how, you know, how does this even make sense? And it might require a little research. I'll be doing that for you on the next five Sundays. Don't worry about that part of it. But even to understand the literal part of it might take a little work. The metaphysical part's a little more fun. That's what we just did, right? How can the soil then be like me? How can the soil represent something more metaphysical, beyond the physical? The third part, though, I think is very interesting. And I want to read from you from this book how we interpret parables in a third way. Irvin Seal says, let us stop and regard the parable as a mental treatment for our own minds. That is what the parable is intended to be. It is a transforming agent. It has a healing and an illuminating power within itself. These are stories about you and your mind. 
They are representative of phases and movements of the mind of mankind, and therefore of all of our minds. Take the parable to yourself and make it part of you, and it will transform you. So the teaching here is quite lovely. It means we, in, on, one, on one hand, we almost don't even need to know what the parable means. They are that powerful. The gem of truth within them is so powerful that just reading it a few times, just hearing it read, just hearing someone like me giving a kind of a corny explanation will do its supreme work right in you. Begin transforming you. And one of the ways we can do that then, as Irvin Seal suggests, is to personalize it in our own lives. What I'd like you to do, and we're going to do more of this in the afterwards program. If, if some of you stay afterwards, we're actually going to get some uh, paper and pencil and do something like this, something kind of powerful in a, in a group setting. But for now, what I'd like you to do is just close your eyes for a minute, if you will. And if we're to personalize, internalize this parable, we would ask ourselves, how sometimes am I like the seed that falls onto the wayside? At times, how am I just oblivious, literally oblivious to the good that's coming my way? How do I sometimes, and in some areas of my life, totally miss the boat? How does the good, how does the peace, how does the love completely just go over my head? And then we might ask, in what places in my life has the seed been spread on stony ground? Are there places where my heart is like stone? Are there places where I maybe hear an idea, but just let it go, just never act on it? Are there places where I've been given great insight and I do nothing with it? Are there places, maybe personally, where I can perceive the goodness and I just keep it all to myself? Then we might ask, where in my life are there places where it's like seeds strewn among the thorns? Are there aspects of my life where I can hear the truth, but I hear so much noise from around the world that's covering it up? Those thorns are the, the noise and the refutations of friends sometimes, of family, of the world, of people you work with. They might look you right in the face and deny the truth of your own goodness, of your own beauty, of your own joy. These are the thorns. Where in your life might thorns crop up. And then finally, and most blessedly, where in your life are you that fertile soil? Where in your life are the seeds of love growing vigorously? Where in your life are the seeds of happiness, of peace, of abundance flourishing? In your life, where are those elements of goodness and let us celebrate them with thanks. Let us understand that these gifts that we have received are indeed precious, are indeed the gifts of God itself. All right, you can open your eyes if you've had them closed. This is the third level 
the transformation level of reading the parables from the New Testament. Now, as I mentioned, in the weeks to come, we've got all kinds of crazy parables. We're going to have a lot of good fun with them, I think. And the key to this last step is to put yourself in the position of every character, every potentiality that's in the parable. So, so if, as you're, if some of you I know are probably going to run to the bookstore and buy this book, and, and what, what I'm um, advising you to do is if you read a, terrible, a parable, and some of them are terrible, <laughs> and some of them are terrible, if you read a parable about a, uh, an importune widow, or if you read a parable about ten virgins, you have the honor of putting yourself in the position of every character in the parable and try to understand what that means in your own life. How am I like the sower? How am I like the field of barren ground? How am I like the field of, of maybe weeds? That's the kind of the magic that's in these parables. All right, I'm going to close today with a quote from Ernest Holmes. Ernest Holmes, the founder of religious science, of the science of mind, would have absolutely said he was a Christian. No doubt about it. In many of his writings, he said, am I a Christian? Absolutely. He even wrote a book of doing interpretations on some of the New Testament. And it's wonderful. And here is what he said about this particular collection of parables in the Bible, which are referred to as the kingdom of heaven parables. He says, the kingdom of heaven means the kingdom of harmony, of peace, of joy, and of wholeness. It is an inward kingdom. Heaven is not a place, but an inward state of consciousness. It is an inward awareness of the divine harmony and truth that is within us all. Jesus located this kingdom of heaven in the only place anyone can find it, in our own heart, in our own mind, in our, ins in our own soul, and in our own spirit. Let us pray. There is one power and presence in this universe. It is this thing called life. And what I know about life is that it is constantly sowing this universe with love, with peace, with joy, with harmony, with love. This is God as the eternal sower. Effortless, limitless, powerful. And because this is a general principle, because the, sow, the seeds are sown completely, indiscriminately, I know that the seeds of love are in my life. I know that the seeds of power and joy are in my life. I know that my life is full of the same harmony that is God's harmony, the same abundance that is God's abundance. And as it is true for me, I know it is true for each person in this room. Each of us can be the fertile ground. Each one of us has the capability of weeding the weeds. Each one of us has the capability of making sure that our own hearts are open to hear, to understand, to live, and to love. And I am simply grateful for this. I know that this coming week, um, as this parable begins working on us, maybe in a subconscious way, maybe in a conscious way, it opens our eyes to see more good in the world. Each of us, each person in this room, has the power to see more good in the world. And I am grateful for it. And so I release this prayer into the activity and action of the law, knowing that it is good, knowing that it is fine. I let it be, and together we say, and so it is. Thank you very much. Thank you.